Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, guys? It's your boy Dylan at ThunderJazz, and I'm here with a word from our sponsors, Bet Online. Uh, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. Just head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that is BLE50 in all capital letters, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Top of Thunder podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Hunzinger, at Thunder Chats. We are part of the Believe Network, and I am joined by my partner in crime, the one, the only, Alejandro. Alex, Alex Roy, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, man. Just uh, There's absolutely nothing going on in, in the world of Thunder, so you know we decided to bring on one of the uh, premier voices of, of the Thunder. And so, sorry to bury the lead, but uh, I'll hand it right back to you. Hey, it's 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 what we do. I'm used to it at this point. But, you know, as Alex alluded to, we do have a guest. So without further ado, joining us today from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, he is a graduate of Oklahoma University. He is a co-host of the OKC Dream Team podcast. He is the sole beat writer for the Oklahoma City Thunder for the Oklahoman. And he is a plant parent, the father of the ficus, the keeper of the cacti, the shelterer of the snake plant. Please welcome Joe Musato. <laughs> That is by far the best introduction I've ever got in any uh, life situation before. So I really appreciate it. Hey, absolutely, man. That's that's what we do around here. Uh, I I, uh, I pride myself on my introductions. You know, I like to hype up the hype up the guests, get them comfortable, get them ready to go. So uh, I'm yeah, glad. Ten it did out of ten. Out. Ten out of ten. You nailed it. Rock and roll, man. Well, Joe, hey, we're excited to have you on here. As Alex said, there's not a lot going on Thunderwise, but there's still a lot to talk about. So uh, let's, let's get right into it before we get to the thunder stuff. You know, we like to, anytime we have somebody that hasn't been on the podcast before, we like to ask a few background questions, just kind of peel back the curtain for our listener to get to know them a little bit. So, you know, I mentioned in your intro, you went to college at OU. Um, so before you were covering the team on the beat, would you have considered yourself a thunder fan? Uh, yes. Uh, it's weird for me to sort of like say that in my, my current job now, but I grew up in Oklahoma city um, I obviously grew up when the Thunder moved and relocated to Seattle, instantly became a fan, followed the team quite a bit. Um, and then in college, I worked at the OU Daily, the student newspaper there, and started learning more about journalism. And, and that was always a passion of mine. Um, and that was, you know, I, I was still paying attention to the Thunder and everything like that. But um, I was covering OU and, and then... Um, eventually started covering University of Kentucky uh, football and basketball for a couple of years and then okay. moved back here, started covering OU again, and then got switched over to the Thunder. And I, I sort of tell people like, yeah, I grew up 
a Thunder fan, but I think it helps me in my reporting that I have that sort of background. Um, but to do my job well, you, you got to take that hat off and, and look at things objectively or else I think I'm doing sort of a disservice to the reader. So um, it's a fun position to be in and about to enter my fourth year on the beat. So, yeah, it's been good. Joe, you just became Dylan's best friend. I saw you had Richmond, Kentucky in your. You uh, just became his best friend. <laughs> in like, your I'm Twitter you. Yeah, yeah, that's me, man. I'm I'm a huge Kentucky guy. Um, I'll, I'll see you. So, that was uh, where where, where was you at covering the covering the cats? So I was at SEC Country, which no longer exists actually, but it was like mm-hmm. a Cox Media subsidiary. Um, so I was there from. I was mainly on the football beat, which I, I know isn't uh, isn't the glamour beat at UK, although it's getting better now. But yeah, um, it, I was there for, for the 16, 17, and 17, 18 uh, basketball season. So I actually covered Shea my second year. First year was a really fun team. Uh, that was the BAM Monk Fox team mm-hmm. uh, that lost to Carolina in the Elite Eight. So those were fun years. You didn't have to include that part. <laughs> Uh, that was that was a hard. Hey, just hey, hey, just just ask them who they lost to this past year. All right, you know what? <laughs> we 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 all know. We won't we won't say. We don't like talk about. It. I'm just I'm just saying. You know, Big Blue Bahamas just happened earlier tonight. It's it's a different team this year. That's all I'm going to say. And we're and we're moving on. And we're moving on. So, um, so Joe, you know, you talked about you know you you covered the Cats. You know, in your in your period after you graduated, and then you ended up on the beat. Um, how did you go from you know covering the Kentucky Wildcats uh, at SEC Country to you know coming back to the city that you grew up in and covering the team that you ended up you know was a fan of? Yeah, so just going to school here, uh, knew some people who worked at the Oklahoman, um, and when SEC Country shut down, I, I moved back home and, and was looking for something, um, and uh, the OU the OU. Uh, I, I was the secondary in the football beat working with Ryan Aber uh, and covering a lot of OU basketball. And I did that for two seasons. Um, and then, as, as you guys know, there was a shuffle through sort of the, the Thunder beat reporters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett Dawson ended up leaving. That created a space at The Athletic for Eric Korn. Um, so, so when Eric left for The Athletic, um, Maddie Lee, who is now on to Chicago uh, covering the Cubs, she was the only person on the beat and they asked me if I wanted to switch over from OU to the Thunder um, and join Maddie on the beat. And I did. Um, and then the first year was the, the pandemic season and March 11, 2020, all of that stuff. Um, and I've been flying solo on the beat the last, last couple of years. And, and last year was really the, the first, you know, normal season where I like was traveling full time, you know, mm-hmm. got to be closer to the team sort of the things you did pre-COVID. So hopefully next season is, is even more relaxed and, and we get to do um, an even better job reporting. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm so hoping to uh, to get back in the locker room. Like that's an aspect of it that you completely miss out, that scrum in the locker room. And, you know, it's been, it's been something that I have found myself just as a, you know, you're a beat writer, you're, you're on the beat every day. Me, you know, I, I'm not necessarily on the beat every day, um, but when I do have the opportunity to go to, you know, the Thunder Games to cover them as media, being in the locker room, you you can tell a lot. You know, because I, I remember back in the Westbrook days, you can tell when he was mad. You can tell whenever his his mood kind of disrupted the entire locker room. 
Um, or when his, you know, when he was happy, that brought up the entire locker room. And so you can tell a lot as a as a media member when you when you enter that locker room. And so I've always thought that that was like a a curtain that was pulled back on us whenever you know whenever COVID hit. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And before COVID, when we were in the locker room covering that Chris Paul team, I, I thought you like it was like pulling the curtain back of like the brilliance behind Chris Paul and how he was in this situation that you know going into the year certainly wasn't ideal for him, but you just saw how he interacted with guys like Darius Baisley and Shea Gilgis Alexander and like Dennis Schroeder was a part of that mix. Um, and, and you really like learned how powerful his voice is and, and the, just the weight he carried in that locker room. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting back, getting back in there will be key. Um, I, I guess this is some like inside baseball, but you know, there's the players don't love it because that's kind of their, mm -hmm. their safe space. Um, but I think the the Riders Association and, and media around the league is is fighting for that access. So I think they'll be able to find a common ground there and and everyone keeps it professional. But you really do. You just get to know guys a little bit better. You get to talk to them without always having your phone in their face or tape recorder, um, whatever. And, you know, when I'm sitting down wanting to talk to a guy for a feature story about something that's not easy to talk about or something they might not love to talk about, but I really want to get to know them better. It's really nice if you have that recognition and, okay, I've seen this guy in the locker room, you know, knows what he's doing, stuff like that. And I think it helps us a lot just from a storytelling perspective, which um, then helps the fans get to get to know these guys a little better. Yeah, definitely. So let me ask you, this, this is something I just kind of thought about because I think a lot of us in Thunder Media, um, talking about specifically Royce Young, you know, Andrew Schlecht, uh, myself, we grew up as fans of the team and yourself also, now that, you know, we found out that you were a fan on the team. But as I have covered the team and as I have been more of a media member and I've sat in Cloud City all the way up there, um, you you tend to change your perspective uh, when you cover the team um, as far as, you know, looking at them objectively instead of subjectively. And so like, has that transition also happened to you to where, yeah, you're a media member, you're a journalist, you're a professional, um, but you were a fan first, but now that you're covering the team, your, I guess, perspective as a fan has kind of changed. And so when you go to the game, you look at it more professionally than you do as a fan. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I would say I'm like 0% a fan right now. I mean, it just was was sort of uh, beaten out of me. Even like, you know, we I had like really good advisors at our college newspaper and, you know, sort of old school how, you know, media is changing. Like, obviously, there's a lot of people who are fans and, you know, cover teams and are really popular. And, and that's totally fine. I think like working at a more like traditional newspaper and, and news organization like the Oklahoma, that's just not how we sort of do it. And I take pride in that because like, there's gotta be like some sort of like check, like not, not that I'm trying to, you know, uh, you know, uh, cover, you know, uncover wrongdoing or the thunders, like the, the evil empire, anything like that. Um, but there's some stories that are tough to tell if a player gets in trouble, if a coach says something like, you know, we have to report on that. Um, but at the same time, I do try to establish relationships with these guys. The job is just like, it's too difficult to try to like be a fan and cover them. Like I go to a game and I'm very thankful for what I do. I have a lot of fun doing it. I love traveling, but it's like, 
work. I mean, it's I'm not there. To, I, I don't care who wins. I really want the best story. Like if it's, uh, you know, like like when the Grizzlies beat the Thunder by 8,000 points or whatever it was <laughs> last year, it's like, okay, uh, I, I get to cover NBA history tonight. This is pretty cool. Now, it was not cool talking to the guys after the game because none of them, you know, cared about that or wanted to talk about that. But mm-hmm. stuff like that, I'm just looking for like, an easy story, compelling stories, human interest stuff. Obviously, it's easier to talk to guys, talk to coaches um, if they're winning. So, like, I, I think once the Thunder, you know, gets back to winning more and as they go on the, you know, latter stages and coming out of this rebuild, um, like, our numbers, analytics-wise, readership-wise, go up. So, it's, like, good for everyone because there's more interest in it. So, um, I, I think all of us benefit when the team um, – is better, but that's not, you know, what I'm cheering for. I'm just, you know, trying to, trying to tell stories and cover games and, and stay professional while I'm doing it. So, okay. Let me, let me ask you this. So this past season for about the first, I'd say about 65 games, it was a regular, you know, regular team out there, you know, regular results. Um, and then like the last 15 games of the season, not just the Thunder, like there are like four or five or six teams out there that just got ridiculous as far as, you know, trying to plant themselves in the standings and try to get a better chance at a draft pick, things like that. Um, so how different was it to cover the team in the first 65 games versus the last 15 games? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and it's something I really struggled with because, you know, when, when a team is just – sort of regular bad that's that's easy to cover i mean you're talking about like development and um you know people care less about the game-to-game results but want to learn more about the players what's it mean for the for the draft the lottery everything like that and that was still a big deal in that you know those last 10 to 15 games or whatever it was but it got to a point that it was just like ugly to watch and and you're right it wasn't just the thunder there's a lot of teams doing this across the league Everyone knows what's happening, yet no one can say what's happening. So it like put me in a really weird spot and not just me and everyone covering the team where like, you know, those last few games where they were trotting out, you know, guys we hadn't heard of at the beginning of the season and they were. Yurgos. Yeah. Yurgos Kalitsakis. Yurgos. I I joked the other day, like snapped his leg in half in one game and then he was back out there the next night playing 48 minutes. Um, and that was like sort of uncomfortable to cover because mm-hmm. like if I'm if I'm talking to Mark Dignalt after the game, he with a straight face has to, you know, answer questions, analyze the game, what went wrong, everything like that. But like I feel weird even asking about that stuff because I know what's going on, they know what's going on, but we can't really like talk to each other that plain spokenly uh, about that. So um also like it was it was tough because um, I, I very much agree with the Thunder's philosophy and plan when it comes to, um, you know, tanking for better lottery odds and drafting high. Like we've, we've all talked about this a ton. I agree with it. And I've written about that. And I've talked to folks with the Thunder about that. Like, I, I understand this. I'm not just saying this because I'm covering you. I think what you're doing is, is a good job. And like, they're sort of being trailblazers as far as how all in they're going with it. But at the same time, you you can also admit that like those last few games were ugly and no one wanted to watch it and it's like a disgrace. So like both things can be true. I just had a hard time balancing like, oh, because I'm like, 
you know, kind of writing very critically about what's going on. That doesn't mean I don't agree with the plan. It's just the way the system is set up and the way the NBA is set up. And that's not a thunder problem. That's not, you know, our problem in the media. Um, but teams just understand that's the way it has to be. So that was a really uncomfortable time. And, and I hope we don't get to that again at the end of this season. Yeah, I, I remember when you talked about that on the, uh, I think it was a Thunder After Dark episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you kind of opened my eyes to a new perspective. You know, to me, it's just like, oh, well, you know, Thunder's throwing out these terrible players so we can get better pick odds. But like, you know, what you said at a point, like, you know, they're not just throwing these guys out there for, you know, limited minutes, limited roles. Like they're throwing them out there for like, you know, like 42 minutes a night on like back to backs, like, you know, yeah. you know, three games and five nights, like stuff like that. And, you know, that, it, it, it is it is rough like you know once you uh once you open my eyes to that i was like okay yeah that, that is a little bit shady so uh, i do appreciate you, you know bringing that to everybody's attention on that but you know kind of talking about last year the the more fun times um you know you talked about how you joined the team during the chris paul year and you know obviously you've been there since then uh how would you say that the team chemistry compared to um you know the past couple of years was in the past season well, it's it's way different now, and they don't – I mean, there's very few guys in the league like Chris. I mean, just being around him, I've got the ultimate respect for that guy, not just, like, on the court, but, like, he was doing so many things off the court. Like, we would get press releases about, oh, Chris Paul's doing this with this foundation and this over here, and on, on t- tonight he's going to be on this show and producing this documentary. It's like, how the heck does this guy have, like, a full-time job as a basketball player when he's doing um, all of this other stuff? So – when he was around, the mood was definitely different and everyone looked up to him. Um, this past year, without locker room access, it's really hard to know for sure. And I don't want to pretend that I know sort of relationship dynamics yeah. and all that stuff. We see them, um, you know, after practice, shooting around, joking with each other, but um, don't really see their true personalities around each other. Um Obviously, Shea is the guy at this point, but he's not this like commanding leader in, in a vocal sense. I think guys really respect him um, just from a more of a leadership by example type thing. Um, you know, Lou Dort's similar to that. Uh, Kenrich Williams, I mean, every guy uh, on the team, and Dagnalt will tell you this, he's the most respected guy in the locker room. So mm-hmm. he's another guy that's pretty quiet, but they all sort of look up to him as someone who had a really uh, had to fight to get to the NBA and, and didn't have a conventional path that some of these top prospects do. So there's, there's not really this like, you know, overbearing presence in, in the locker room or, or someone that's like the spokesman of the team. I think it's a lot of young guys trying to find their way through it and find their own voice. Um, even, even a rookie like Josh Giddy last year, um, super well-spoken um, and, and a guy that, you know, has those leadership qualities, but he was 19 years old and, you know, still trying to find his voice. So I think it'll be interesting, you know, this year to, to see who sort of emerges is that voice. So moving on. Uh, so, you know, we, we got done with the season. Um, how fun was summer league this year? And let, let's, let's go ahead and start with Utah. Like when you, when you saw that first game from Chet where he put up, like, 23 points, he had, like, you know, 18, 19 at the half, whatever. Um, had a great game, incredible game. Um, what, what was it like kind of seeing that live? Well, you were there, right? You were there in Utah? 
No, and that's no. the thing. It's like we we were sort of told there was miscommunication. There was there was a, a lapse in communication, but I didn't think that Chet and some of the other rookies were going to play uh, in, in Salt Lake, and that right. that became right. sort of a, a, a common narrative. Um, so when I was sort of deciding where I was going to go because we didn't really have the budget to go both places, I was like, okay. I'll prioritize the the first year players like Chet and, and Jang and Jalen Williams, um, and, and just go to Vegas. And then he like goes crazy uh, in game one. It's all like so. I was watching on my couch, covering from afar. But yeah, that was impressive. Okay, so um, so Vegas. How fun was Vegas? You know, and how fun was it to, you know, cover a team that just for that little bit of time increased with. So much notoriety as, as opposed to like the last two or three years where they were just known as the tanking team um you know and now they were like hey let's look at you know look at this number two pick look at josh giddy playing with him you know how fun was that to kind of cover that team yeah i hadn't been in a scrum that big and i mean since before covid and some of that is because of covid and some of that is because no national media has cared about covering the thunder unless they're writing about tanking but like when Chet spoke after games, I mean, I took a picture of it. There's a dozen, probably more than that, 20 people or so just packed around him. Um, and you, you sort of take a step back and like, okay, like this is, you know, you know this is different. Like Chet brings uh, instant intrigue to this. And it's not just him. It's him with the evolution of SGA and Josh Giddy and all of the draft picks coming in behind them. Like, I, I think they you know, have been a team in the last couple of years where unless you're a Thunder fan or like totally invested in the NBA, they're, they've been very easy to ignore because it's like, okay, you know, we'll pay attention to the Thunder two or three years. What once all these picks uh, convey? But now it's like, the, you know, the bubbles are starting to rise to the surface now where I think people are paying attention um, to this team and, and Chet specifically. I mean, he was, he was a, superstar in, in in Vegas. I mean, people wanted to to talk to him, take pictures with him, see him. And I'll tell you, like, the fans in Vegas, it's a really cool atmosphere because if you go to any NBA game, obviously the home crowd is cheering for their team. Vegas, it's like a, a glorified, like, pickup game where everyone is ooing and aahing at individual plays. It doesn't matter who they play for. It doesn't matter what the score is. They just, like, appreciate – like greatness and, and really fun basketball mm. and like josh giddy he was the showstopper in vegas like he got more oohs and ahs than than really any player um i saw uh, in vegas and it was just his passing like he didn't mm -hmm. shoot the ball great um he, he had some turnovers who cares it's summer <laughs> league he wasn't you know trying to take care of the ball but like just uh just to see sort of that reaction coupled with chet coupled with excitement around j-dub um, it was a pretty fun time out there this year. So can can you give me one story that is just like Vegas? That's just like, yo, this only happens in Vegas, like nowhere else. So can you give me one story, like a Vegas story? Dude, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, yeah. Alex. Like that's, that's very true. That's very true. And we, we may have to edit this part out, but <laughs> I'll, 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 off the record, Joe, off the record. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll tell you guys a story. Like, I'm not the biggest, um, and this won't surprise anyone who knows me. I'm not the biggest party guy, going out stuff like that. Like I'm not, I'm not very Vegas, um, or I don't appreciate Vegas as much as I should. But there was, I think Schleck just told this story. But there was a there was a media party a couple of days in, 
and that doesn't sound exciting and it shouldn't sound exciting because you know we're all just you know dorks covering the team and like <laughs> what, what's a media party like that sounds pretty boring but like it was the most over-the-top thing i've ever been to i felt so out of place like we walked down a staircase there's you know you know waitresses holding trays of alcohol and it's like a grand entrance and it's like where am i and like i thought i was going to be like abducted or something it was a very strange experience um and just i i hope these guys don't don't mind me mentioning their names but like there was like random nba players there obviously not like you know cream of the crop nba players who would be hanging out at a media party but like rui hachimura was like helping out the dj mm-hmm. rui, rui, rui's a huge fan of our of our podcast oh yeah shout out rui i'm sure he's listening Shout out um, DJ Hawk. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I can't remember. Like Mo Wagner was there. Um, so, so sort of like these these NBA players walking around with like you know th- those of us in the media who are not like dressed appropriately to be in this like club type atmosphere. So that was a very Vegas story. And it was like I woke up the next morning. I was like, did that really happen? Like was that really Hachimura up there like helping out the DJ? So yeah, that was a fun one. It's like you had your own little it, hangover moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Waking up like like Zach Gilifanakis. Did you, did you not have a tiger in the in the hotel room? <laughs> no tiger. No tiger. Thank God. Yeah. Mike Tyson wasn't playing piano for you when you woke up. No. Uh, yeah. No. Um. You know, kind of touching on what you was talking about. Uh. You know, I think Chet's gonna draw a lot of eyeballs to like from the casual viewers because I'm not gonna say he's one of the most polarizing players in the NBA already without playing a game, but. He's, he's pretty close because you're either going to tune into him because you like him, you appreciate the talent, you want to see the seven-foot weirdo bring the ball up the court, hit Dirk fadeaways, do step-back three-pointers, and dunk all over somebody and erase their shots at the rim. Or you want to see this guy fail. You want to see him get bodied by Joel Embiid and put on the floor. You want to see somebody you know cross him up. Like Whether you want to see him succeed or see him fail, I think Chet's going to draw a lot of eyeballs this year. Um, so kind of talking about Chet, um, obviously he is a rookie and, you know, we kind of saw kind of the full gamut in summer league. We saw the highs, we saw the lows, we saw the offense, we saw the defense. Um, just this year specifically, if you had to pick one area, what would you say is his biggest impact area in his rookie year? Well, this isn't going out on a limb, but I think it's gotta be the rim protection. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an element. The Thunder just hasn't had these last few years. Um, I mean, look at the centers they've rolled out from. Isaiah Roby to Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Derek Favors. Um, I mean, even going back a few years, like Nerlens Noel uh, g- gave them, you know, some sort of presence a- at the rim, albeit off the bench. But like, he is a shot blocking extraordinaire. And I think that they're going to funnel the defense through him. Um, and I think he's he's just going to give them a lot of versatility on that end. I, I think, you know, they're, they're going to be able to hide Josh Giddy on fours. I think you know, you still have Lou Dort defending the top guard uh, or top forward wing, whatever, on the perimeter. Yeah. I think SGA, who, um, you know, you know, going back to Kentucky, he was known back then as like a defense-first prospect, mm-hmm. right? six six and rangy, um, athletic. So I think there's another gear for him to reach defensively um, when the stakes are a little bit higher. But, like, I think Chet is going to help a lot of that tick. Um, just because having that backline defender, having that um, rim protection down there is just a game changer. And like you, you saw like 
what a guy like Evan Mobley did last year as a rookie. Like some stuff comes, you know, it, it takes rookies a while to grasp like NBA defenses. Like some guys never get it, but I think his like instincts as a shot blocker are there. Um, so like it might take him a while to like understand schemes and everything like that. But um, like in summer league, like the blocks were flashy, but like just, just watch the game and look when a guard drives the lane or there's a cutter and they get him the ball. And then his natural inclination is to go up or finish a layup and they see Chet and they back the ball back out or they mm-hmm. throw it back out onto the perimeter. And it's like, it's like we almost need to count like shots deterred with Chet because there's going to be a lot of those. Um, and, and just, you know, forcing the offense to take a tougher shot than they normally would, just like his presence already. Like people can talk about how skinny he is. We all have talked about how skinny he is. Um, but he's also really tall, and that's going to, ha- you know, make some guys second-guess themselves down there. Yeah, not only is tall, he's got, he's got great instincts. I, mm-hmm. You know, you was talking about deterring shots at the rim. I remember, uh, I think we was playing the Rockets, and I think it was Josh Christopher. He was coming down on a fast break, and Chet was coming behind him. And uh, he, he went up, and he kind of looked like he was going to pass it back. And then he saw Chet behind him, and he just kind of threw it <laughs> to yeah. the middle of nowhere to the stands. Like, uh, I was like, that's, that's a prime example of Chet's defense, like just striking the fear in the hearts of guys. But – you know, in the summer league on offense, you know, I'm, I'm glad you touched on defense because I want to touch on offense here. Um, offensively, we kind of got to see some glimpses of the Josh Giddy Chet Holmgren, um, you know, tandem. And, you know, go from that and going from like pre-draft, uh, them flirting in the Instagram, in, in the Instagram comments, basically, um, you know, that's all anybody wants to talk about when they talk about Chet is the combination of Giddy and Chet. But what I want to ask you is uh, – you know, what, what are your thoughts on the combination of Shea and Chet? How are they going to help each other? Well, yeah, and I think that was being overlooked in Summer League. It's like, you know, everyone's favorite couple, Chet Holmgren and Josh Kidney. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, anyone, like, heard of Shea? He's, he's over here, you know, sitting on the sidelines, uh, entering first year of a max deal. So I think that partnership is, is going to be huge. I mean, the, the numbers bear this out. Like, Shea, for the last two seasons – has led the NBA in drives per game. He is lethal at getting to the rim. He has not played, I I mean, he's played, um, you know, in some staggered lineups, like with second units, Mike Mascala, for example, as a backup five who can space the floor. They almost run a five out, clearing out for Shea, he can get to the rim. Chuck's gonna do that from from day one. Like, even, even before we see how well he shoots it in the NBA, he's at least gonna have guys out there guarding him. Um, and if he's out, you know, standing in the corner or on the wing and that's pulling a, you know, a, a four or five out from under the basket to the wing, that's one less guy that Shea has to worry about as he's driving. Um, and it's not just finishing at the rim for Shea. I, I think it's the, the drive and kick game, which he's so good at. Like Chet mm-hmm. gives him another outlet um, when, when he's down there just to pass it back out onto the wing. And we've seen so many potential assists for Shea. And he's just kicking out to shooters who can't shoot it. Um, and Chet, you know, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, he looks like a guy who's going to be able to shoot it. The track record is, is certainly there. So I think I think the SGA-Chet partnership is going to look more seamless early than the even than the Giddy-Chet partnership just because, like, Shea is such a dynamic scorer. And, like, he, he puts so much of the defense's pressure is on him. And that's going to open tons of stuff up for Chet. Whereas, like, Giddy, 
you can still play off him a little bit because you don't really respect him as a shooter. Um, I, I think, you know, him and Chet are going to have a little harder time just because they're both young and trying to find their footing. Um, and, and really all three of them together, we can talk about getting an SGA. That certainly didn't look pretty at times, but it's still very early in that process. So, um, but just to answer your question, I think SGA is going to help Chet a ton. And I think Chet's going to help SGA a ton. Yeah. And kind of, kind of staying with Shea, you know, you know, we're talking about like what Chet can do for him and, and it's not just Chet, like, you know, Jalen Williams, obviously like his shooting and his uh, off ball play, like I think it's going to help him a lot. Um, and I, I don't think it was last year, but the year before I know Shea was like leading the league in points per possession out of the pick and roll. And he was doing so with like Isaiah Roby and Moses Brown. So like give him a guy like Chet Holmgren and just look out. And something that I've been pointing out, um, I pointed out on a podcast I was on a couple of days ago, is like, you know, you, you was talking about how Shea's entering in like the first year of his max contract. Like not only that, but Shea is in the middle of his first full offseason since he's been a part of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And if there's one thing that we know about Shea goes to Alexander is <laughs> when, when he gets into offseason, he has time to get in the lab and work. He doesn't just take a small jump. He takes a leap forward. So I'm, I'm real excited to see what Shea can do this year. I, I laugh just because he has to make a point every podcast in the off season to say that Shay gets in the lab, in the lab, you know, baby, and he, wor- and he works on his game. So that's that's his thing. Yeah, yeah, he should. Hopefully, he's in the lab and, and working on his game. I think it'd be a red flag if he wasn't. But I get what you're saying. I hadn't actually thought about that. His first full off season. Um, with the thunder that's yeah that's interesting just because the schedule has been so condensed Mm -hmm. these last few years um but yeah i think i think we we sometimes underappreciate how good shay is um and and just how lethal he is as a scorer and part of that is because the last two years he just hasn't played last year he sits out the last 10 games year before that the plantar fascia tear um you know he misses half the season and like you know, I, I think people around the NBA, I, I'm talking fans, like they're aware of, of SGA and how good of a player he is. But we we're lucky enough to like watch this guy day in and day out. And there were some lineups where, I mean, he just had no help out there. And you, me, and those five guys on defense all knew that, that Shea was the only target on the floor and he could still um, get buckets and, and mm-hmm. create for his teammates. And like, that's the mark of like a star in this league is, you know, when, when you do have that target on your back and you can still overcome that. And I just like him because he's such a change of pace star. Like he has, he's athletic, but it doesn't really show like he, he moves so slow and off tempo and herky jerky. And he's got these long arms and he's got the scoop shot and, and the reverse and, you know, all these, all these weird things that he does, but, um, it's sort of like fun to watch like a craftsman rather than mm-hmm. um, just all athleticism uh, out there. So the Thunder's building this weird team. I mean, Chet's weird. Shea's weird. Giddy's weird. Um, Poku is is lovably and laughably weird. Um, but yeah, it's a it's an interesting group. And hey, let me let me ask you something in regards to to Shea. Um, so he's entering his fifth season, mm-hmm. and he you know. It's it, it's fancied that he is let's say a top twenty type player, you know, possible all star, um, but he you know he he's also seen as like the ultimate team player on this rebuilding team that he's willing to sit out um, so that they can you know 
rack up a couple more losses so they can go ahead and get a better draft pick. With that said, he's still an NBA player. And NBA players have pride. And NBA players have legacies. And so I guess my, my question to you is, how long do you think this can go on like this before SGA kind of to himself thinks, this is kind of hurting my legacy, is, you know, being on a team like this, a rebuilding team where, you know, I could possibly, you know, if they allow me to play 65, 70, 75 games, I could be making an all-star team. You know, he's five years in, zero all-star games, zero all-pro, uh, all-NBA teams. Um, and so I, I just wonder, as a player, you know, in your opinion, how much longer do you think that SGA can kind of do this before he says, look, mm-hmm. either let me go, you know, take the reins off or, you know, trade me to another team? Mm-hmm. I've thought about this a lot and because I think it's a really valid point. Like he has been the ultimate company man. He's done whatever they've asked him to. He's sat when they've asked him to sit. I do want to differentiate a little bit between him sitting these last two years. Two years ago, from everything I've heard, that was a legit injury, the plantar mm-hmm. fascia tear. I think he would have played for Team Canada. Yep. I don't think it was like a conspiracy theory. It's like, hey, uh, you, you can't play for the Canadians either because then it, everyone will know you're not really hurt. Like, that was an actual tear. Um, now, last year, like, he could have played, like, and he he, he would have played if the, if the team was competitive and, and wasn't, you know, fighting for uh, a top draft slot. So, but, you know, want to start out with that. But, like, asking him to do it again, even just for a second time, which this season would be, I I kind of have a hard time seeing it. And that's nothing I've heard from Shea or from the Thunder. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not trying to create a controversy here. But, like, you said it. This guy is a max contract player. He might be a top 20, top 25 player in the league. And, I mean, look at it this way. If Shea gets out – you know, bust out the gates and is having a great season from the jump, which he didn't last year as he was taking some really tough shots, didn't have the numbers to be an all-star. I actually thought he should have been an all-star two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he certainly had the numbers then. But say he has a great season, he is named an all-star for the first time, but the Thunder is, you know, still losing a ton of games, which I expect them to do. Um, and they want to say, okay, we want this to look, uh, we want the end of this year to look like the end of last year. Shay, you're going to sit out the last 10 games. What if he's in contention for an All-NBA spot? Like, what if he is potentially 13, second-team All-NBA? There's there's money on the line. There's prestige on the line. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even think the Thunder could fairly ask him to do that. And if I was Shea, I'd say, you know, I don't care about, you know, this, this, yeah. this draft pick. Like, I want to, you know, I, I want to establish a legacy here. So I, I think – the Thunder obviously know Shea a lot better than I do. And and they know like what he's going to respond well to and what he's going to be okay with. And I think Shea is confident enough and at a point in his career where he can sort of convey that to the team and what he's willing to do and what he's not willing to do. But I just have a hard time thinking that, you know, we're, we're going to be in April or whatever, and Shea's going to be sitting out and, and not playing and, not racking up stats and he's already missed so much time um, due to injuries, due to shortened seasons. And you look at like scoring lists, you look at like top players under 25 or whatever. And it's like, he's got to wonder like, okay, where's my name on this? Like, why, why, why am I not higher up on these lists? Um, and a lot of that is he just hasn't played that much. Mm-hmm. So kind of, you know, Switching course over to another rookie coming in this year, um, Jalen Williams, aka J Dub, 
um, or as Santa, son, as, a, as Dylan would call him, Santa. Um, so he made a huge impact on the team in, in summer league. Um, how do you think his role on the team shakes out, um, especially as compared to like Kenrich Williams and you know and Aaron Wiggins? Like he's going to be kind of playing that same position, that wing position. So how do you think his time is going to kind of shake out? And you know, do you see him? You know, how, how much do you see him playing this year as far as on you know on the team? I think he'll squarely be in that second unit, and I, I think he'll be in that unit with Aaron Wiggins and, and Kenrich Williams. I think all those guys can play together from basically the two through the four. Um, w- Wiggins is, is an interesting comparison. I mean, obviously the Thunder has invested a lot more in Jalen Williams, J-Dub, than they have in Aaron Wiggins. I've I've sort of been a, a Aaron Wiggins I don't want to say an Aaron Wiggins defender. Like no one's like, oh, this guy can't play. He's a second round pick. Who cares? But like, I, I was pretty high on Aaron Wiggins last year, and mm-hmm. just what he was able to do. I mean, he's incredibly smart. He's like the ultimate like stabilizer when he's on the floor. He's Kenrich Williams light in that sense, and that he just you know he makes things happen when he's out there, and he doesn't make stupid mistakes. And Jalen Williams, J Dub strikes me as that same sort of player albeit one with a higher ceiling um, and, uh, you know, more length. So I think those those two guys are going to be interesting to compare this year. Obviously, I think Jalen Williams has the, the you know, bigger ceiling long-term, mm-hmm. higher ceiling. Um, and, and I expect Jalen Williams, I would guess that he does log more minutes than Kenrich Williams uh, and, and Aaron Wiggins. Like, Kenrich is, is tough because – he, he could be one of those guys who is, you know, sitting out toward the end of next season and, mm-hmm. and things like that as well, just as they prioritize some of these younger players. But, um, yeah, I don't know if he'll – I think, like, Trey Mann will be that traditional sixth man. But I also could see, like, J-Dub having that role just because you can slot him. They're playing him at the four in summer league, and this guy was exclusively a point guard in college, and he already looked so good playing off the ball. It just really struck me because it's like – how do you look this good playing off the ball when you almost never played off the ball in college? Mm-hmm. So he's already at this point, I think is a really encouraging sign. And uh, I get the sense that Mark Dignall's going to really love putting him in a number of positions. Well, um, before Jalen Williams, we actually drafted somebody else, somebody that was is much maligned by the Thunder fan base. So we traded three first round picks for him. So, uh, Gotta gotta ask about my guy from the Jang Gang. Uh, will Usman Jang get significant run throughout the season? And follow up question: Do you think drafting him should have guys like Poku and Baisley looking over their shoulder? Um, I would say Baisley and Poku should be looking over their shoulder, even if it wasn't for Usman Jang. <laughs> That's fair. Um, uh, okay, uh, I, I answered the second part first. I'll go back to the first. I think he'll get a lot of run in the G League. I don't think he's going to get a lot of run in the NBA. And I think that's that's what we expected, right? Like anyone who is watching, you know, trying to, to read or learn or watch videos about these draft prospects, like everyone knew that Usman Jang would be a project. He's one mm-hmm. of the youngest players um, in, in the class, super raw, I, I think more so on offense than defense, but just a guy that is going to take some seasoning in, in the G League and, Look at last year. I mean, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Aaron Wiggins, Trey Mann. I mean, Teo Maladon 
um, as a second year player. Like th- those guys were all down uh, with the G League. Poku, of course, was was down with the G League as well. So I think Jing will probably play most of his minutes down there. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, maybe later in the season gets some run with the Thunder because there's not. I don't expect there to be stakes on the line, and he might be a guy that. Uh, naturally enhances your your odds to to get a better draft pick, um, assuming he's not going to be much of an impact player in year one. I wasn't the biggest Jang guy before the draft. I also am not a draft or scouting expert, so mm. I know nothing basically. Um, so that that doesn't mean anything. So I, I'm not like you know one of those people who saw him in summer league and it's like ah, I, I I knew he was going to be a bust or something like that. Like. I think it's going to take us two to three years to really figure out who this guy is. I think the Poku comparison is interesting um, in that they're both projects, but like Jing has a higher ceiling. I think sometimes we mm-hmm. forget that Poku was the 17th pick and he was like, I, I really think the fan base has put like these crazy expectations on Poku to be something that like in reality, a 17th pick shouldn't have to be. Um, but anyway, uh, Poker I think it was Kevin O'Connor that said that uh, he is theoretically the best basketball player of all time. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about those expectations. So, <laughs> I, I'm not a Poku believer. I'm also not a man. I go back and forth on Baisley so much. Like I thought the mm-hmm. defense was legit last year, and he really took a huge step on that end of the floor. He just doesn't quite get it offensively, and doesn't fit what the Thunder wants to do. I also think he's sort of a wild card personality and that's not always the thunder's type of player mm-hmm. um and you know poku's poku we'll we'll we'll, we'll see what he does I, I if i was a thunder fan i would say if poku becomes a if he's a long-term rotational player if he's your eighth man that's a huge win mm-hmm. I, I mean i'd be surprised if he was even that at this point yep hey we're in the same boat, man. <laughs> so, okay, so let me ask you this. So, you know, we talked about kind of Poku and, and Bays kind of having a look on their sh- over their shoulder because there is a roster crunch coming. You know, there, there's currently, I believe it's 18 players on the active roster plus mm-hmm. the two, you know, the two two-ways. Um, so it seems to me like the top 14 spots are secure. Um, so the 15th spot seems to be a play-in between four different players. You have um, Tail Maladon, you have Ty Jerome, you have uh, V. Krejci, and then you have Derek Favors. Um, so who do you think emerges from that scrum with the 15th position and why? That's a that's a tough one as well. Um, and I know it's you like know, been, the, been the topic. Barring no trades or anything like that coming up, you know, before, before training camp and stuff like that. Yeah, I would say of those four – Oh, goodness gracious. Jerome is probably the lowest on, on my list is, is likelihood of, of them coming back. I think I would almost say Crutchy would be the guy they would keep. And that's just because the Thunder loves upside and he has upside. We just haven't seen him play a lot. Um, I don't know, obviously, the medicals and, and what that that knee looks like, but he tore his ACL. Then he had another surgery this offseason. That might just be a, an easy decision. Like, hey, they don't. They don't believe it's going to hold up physically. He's out. If if that if the medicals look okay, just a six eight guy who 
what was a point guard growing up can handle the ball can play multiple positions can can shoot it off the ball like i think that sort of flip fits in their play style um so i guess i would go that but it's the most i i have no great feeling about this i will say i have Derek favors i thought was certain to be gone i i thought there was no chance of him coming back just because you, you can't really make the you know veteran locker room presence case because they've got, you know, Mike Mascala, Kenrich Williams, they've got guys who sort of fill that role. But I've heard that they really like having favors around and that favors likes being around and that, you know, if they do get into a position where they just need to throw a big body out there to spare Chet a, a little bit, that he's someone who, who can do that and eat up those minutes. So I still would lean more so uh, out than in on favors. Um, but like at the beginning of the season or beginning of the off season, I thought, okay, you know, favors scratch his name off the list. And now I'm, I'm like 60, 40 that he's not going to be here, but it's a lot closer than I think a lot of people realize. Yes. That was my thinking also. I, I've always thought that even though it seems like favors is definitely going to be one of the people out, you know, I also think that having Chet here and, you know, giving him one more year mm -hmm. to not necessarily play center full-time, you know, having big bodies around him like JRE, like Favors, um, will help his development. So I think the Thunder are going to be all in in making sure that, you know, Chet's development takes the right path. And so kind of, you know, kind of protecting him from, you know, from bigger bodies, from like the Cats, the Embiid's, the, the Jokic's of the world. You know, they, they may keep favors. That's my thinking on it. Yeah. Also, it's not a situation where, like, teams are, you know, banging down the door to try to get Derek favors. Like, if he was even, you know, bought out, like, I think he would get picked up. Um, There's you know, no more first-round picks coming our way for Derek favors? No. Yeah, that's, that, that's not going to happen. So, like, you know, if Derek favors knew there was a lot of interest, maybe he would push more for a buyout and then sign with his preferred destination. But I think he's almost looking at this like, hey, you know, it, <laughs> this is a pretty cushy job. Like, you know, he, he's still, you know, get, getting paid a good deal of money and, and is mm -hmm. more of like that that mentor and, you know, play in spots, but, you know, not wearing his body out. So um, once his contract does come up at the end of this next year, you know, maybe maybe he is able to recoup some of his value. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of a win-win situation from that standpoint. So also just a really, like, stand-up dude who, you know, and we know how much that means to the Thunder. They just like having good people around. Yeah, we had Jake Fisher on our pod uh, right before the draft or, like, right in the middle of, like, scuttlebutt season. And, uh, you know, we was talking to him about uh, Derek Favors, Henry Williams, and, you know, th those players too. And he mentioned that, you know, what we already knew. I think you actually wrote the article talking about how Kenny wanted to retire here, how he loved being here. But he said that, you know, Derek, not necessarily Derek Favors wants to retire here, but Derek Favors really enjoys being a part of the Oklahoma City Thunder and like being in Oklahoma City. So, you know, we, we've talked about on the podcast a few times, like, you know, for so many years, you've just wanted people to want to be here. <laughs> and so now that you have so many people wanting to be here at some point, you've got to say, okay, just because you want to be here doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be here. Like, mm -hmm. um, oh, I, I guess the question I'm asking is like, uh, uh, when, when's the time? When's the cutoff? Like, when when are we gonna be like, all right, like it's it's not enough for want to be here. Like, you've gotta you gotta be able to do you know A, B, C, and D also. Yeah, I 
I don't know. I, I mean, just as like, you know, you, you mean like contributing to future success or what do you mean? Yeah. I mean, I mean, j- just basically like, you know, like take Derek favor situation, you know, obviously like he's a competent NBA player. He's a body okay. you can throw yeah. out there, but you know, just because you want to be here, like if you're not, you know, pushing Chet for like the starting position or something like that, like that's not enough. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. That, that totally makes sense. That's a good question. Um, clearly they are in a spot now where, you know, you're not worried about if favors does keep a roster spot or having a guy like Mike Mascala still on the team. Kenrich Williams doesn't fit into this category because he's a really good player who could help a contender right now, I believe. Um, but they're, I guess if you're looking at, you know, guys pushing others for a spot, if they really believe in Teo Maladon or Ty Jerome, I think if push comes to shove, they would give them one of those spots over a Derek Favors. If Derek Favors beats those guys out for a roster spot, I think that says less about Favors and more about, you know, the Thunder just doesn't really believe that Ty Jerome or Vic Cratchy or Teo Maladon is going to be a, a player they miss down the road. And at that point, Maybe there's more benefit of having a guy like Favors on the roster than trying to develop Teo Maladon into a competent NBA player. So I think there's some risk reward balancing there. Now, two years from now, um, you know, when they're in, in the playoff chase and who knows how, how good they might be, like, I think sort of these like mushy relationship reasons sort mm-hmm. of go out the window a little bit. Like, yeah, you still want a guy like Kenrich Williams. To be here who really wants to be here maybe maybe you've got the honorary vet spot and that belongs to Derek favors or mike mescala they can battle it out in a one-on-one game or something um but like, it's I'm like yeah, yeah me, me too he could he could stretch the floor i don't think you want favors uh defending in space but anyway i i think you're you're less worried about those things uh when you're more competitive also at that point Shouldn't Josh Giddy or Chet Holmgren or Shea Gilgis Alexander be those like voices and those guys that set set the tone? Like you don't really need, yeah. Um, you know the, those older guys around then. But yeah, it's a it's a good question. I think the Thunder more so than other teams definitely puts an emphasis on sort of examples to look up to, professionalism, work ethic, things like that. And I'm not going to say to a detriment. But like sometimes I, I I wonder like okay like where where is the value here this whole like people over players thing like ultimately it's wins and losses so um, mm-hmm. it, it's sort of an interesting thing to watch. Yep, for sure, man. All right, well we're about to close out here uh, get and get to the game. So this 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 question I had in three separate, but I'm just gonna combine it into one, and you can answer it as quick with as little context as you want to give. Uh, who is your projected starting lineup? Who is your projected closing lineup and what's a lineup you're most excited to see? Oh man. Uh, I should have done my homework on this one. Although I just wrote about this. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to pull up what I, what I just said. Um, so I think four starters are locked in. Mm-hmm. SGA, Giddy, Dort, Holmgren. We can all agree on that, right? Um, Absolutely. My guess for the fifth starter is Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because, He's not the tallest guy, but he's he's strong and he's a big bodied guy who I think can play the five against those other, you know, bigger fives that they they want to spare Chet from a little bit. Also, in the right matchups, he can play the four like last year. They alternated him between 
the four and the five with their favors with Isaiah Roby. So he's pretty versatile. And I think he fits easiest um, alongside Chet. Now, if they want Chet to be a full-time five, then maybe you do see a Darius Baisley starting. I mean, I think the Thunder still likes Darius Baisley. He's really polarizing. I don't even know what to think of him. Um, if Poku took a huge jump this, this summer, I mean, maybe Poku could start at the four alongside Chet at the five. I have no Crazy idea. That happen. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think JRE uh, is going to be that fifth starter. I know I don't think this was one of your questions, but I, I have this pulled up and so I can easily recite it. But my second unit was Trey Man, Jalen Williams, Aaron Wiggins, Kenrich Williams, Mike Mascala, uh, Basley and Poku were the guys I had no idea uh, what to do with. Closing lineup. Um, heck, I don't I don't know if it would differ from the starting lineup. Mm-hmm, really at this point maybe maybe j dub uh instead of jre especially if they could go small and have uh you know j dub at the at the four or like i said i think giddy is going to defend some slower four so i think that's a maybe a more offense first move that, that they can make in the closing lineup i think like closing lineups is such you know situational you know because if you have a, a closing lineup against a bigger team you're probably not going to go too small yeah. Um, well, let, let me revise my question. What would your death lineup be for the Thunder? <laughs> as close to death as, as as you could make it with a rebuilding <laughs> team. <laughs> as close to death as I can make it. Um, so, so we're ultimately just saying, like, who do I think would be the best five that they could put out there? Um, I would say if I, if like they needed to win one game, I would go SGA, Giddy. Dort, Kenrich Williams, and Chet, and probably Kenrich would have to play the four. Uh, but I, I, I just want Kenrich out there um, yeah. because I think he elevates the lineup. Yeah, that'd be good for defense, Dort, Kenny, and uh, Chet yeah. out there. So I, I like yeah. it. Yeah, I guess someone would have to make a shot, but uh, <laughs> we got Shay. We'll be all right. We'll figure it out later. Um, all right, and then the lineup you're most excited to see. Um, the lineup I'm most excited to see. Someone asked me this the other day, and I jokingly jokingly said Jalen Williams, Jalen Williams, Kenridge Williams, Aaron Wiggins, <laughs> and Wendy Waters to have like the five W's lineup. Um, the who, what, when, where, why lineup. Yeah, there yeah. You go. that's that's what we would all be asking ourselves as as we were watching those guys. But so I'll say I'll say that I think any lineup with both Jalen Williams is is just going to cause so much confusion. And I want to know how the PA announcers handle it. I want to know how Chris Fisher and Michael Cage handle it. Um, it's it's just going to be glorious. So I'm looking forward to those. All right. So so kind of final question in our in our question part of this. Um, so do you see this team being destined for another high lottery pick, or do you think that you know that Shea and and, and Dagnall allow? I mean, not Shea. You know that they allow Shea and company to go ahead and kind of play to their potential and see how, see, you know, where it takes them. Uh, I think they're destined for another lottery pick, even if they take the reins off Shea. And, and I say that because I think the West is just going to be so much better this year than it was last year. I mean, you look last year and the Spurs, I think were eight games under 500 and still made the play in. Um, And the East was stronger last year. The Hornets, I think were the 10th seed and they actually had a winning record. So, I think the 10th seed in the West this year could have a winning record um, 
something like 42 and 40. Um, and there's like a clear, you know, bottom three, bottom four in the West. You look at OKC, Houston, Utah, pending and Donovan Mitchell trade. Um, I'm leaving, I'm leaving someone out, uh, San Antonio. Yep. Yeah. So I, I think those are the clear bottom four teams um, in the West. And that's even if Shea plays, even if Dort plays, Giddy, all of those guys, I do think they're going to be a lot better. Um, and I do think they are going to have a better record. I mean, I would pencil them in very, very early at around 30 wins. Um, but that's like improving naturally while also just like, you know, going up against the West, which I think is going to be pretty rugged and, and that'll put them, I don't know, somewhere in that six, seven, eight, nine lottery range. Okay. That's respectable. I like it, man. All right. Well, Hey, you've, uh, you've been patient with us with the questions. So we're going to try to get you out here really fast on the game. This is our rapid fire segment. Uh, I got three sections. So the first one start bench cut. I got five uh, scenarios for you. Just tell me, you know, start bench cut. You can provide as much contact or, or as little context as you would like to give. I'm pretty nervous for the game, but this sounds this sounds fun. So let's do it. All right, I like it. All right, here we go. So first one, uh, let's go with the start bench cut. Jeremiah Robinson, Earl, Jalen Williams, Jay Will, Mike Muscala. Uh, I would cut Jay Will. Uh, no offense. Uh, I would bench Mike Muscala, and I would start. Wait, who am I starting? Who is the other one? Jeremiah Robinson, Earl. I'll start Jeremiah Robinson, Earl. All right, I like it. All right, uh, moving to the guards. Uh, one of these is going to be easy, but I had to get the three T's together. So Trey Mann, Ty Jerome, and Teo Maladone. <laughs> I will start Trey Mann. I will bench – oh, gosh. I'll bench Ty Jerome. I'll cut Teo Maladone. I, I'm i not the biggest Teo Maladone guy. He just doesn't excite me. At least Ty Jerome can, like, you know, shoot. Shoot. Three, yeah. You know. Do something that that makes you say, "Oh, that that was cool." It's like Teo Maladone is, um, he's a good player, but he he just doesn't do it for me. Joe Masato, not a fan of the twenty twenty draft class for the Thunder. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Uh, I'm with you, man. I want to target Maxi and Jalen McDaniels. We won't talk about it. All right, moving on. Uh, Star bench cut: Darius Baisley, Alexi Pokashevsky, Usman Zhang. Ooh. I'm trying to think of these like not only from a basketball standpoint, but from this could be personal. Yeah, like this yeah, could, it be, could like, be personal. Like, who do I not want to talk to? Um, <laughs> I will start Poku because that would just be entertaining. Um, <laughs> yeah. I will. I will bench. Okay, this is going to sound weird. I want to actually do this in real life. I'm going to bench <laughs> Darius Baisley. And cut Jang. I don't really know Jang oh, wow. at this point. Um, so, you know, he hasn't he hasn't been in my life. Darius Baisley. Darius Baisley is the most fascinating interview on the team, and that is because I once asked Darius Baisley a question, and he paused for, I'm not even I'm not even kidding, like 15 seconds, almost to the point, and this was in person, almost mm-hmm. to the point where I was like, should I like say some should i ask it again like do i do something to break up the silence like everyone is just sitting there and he's he's just staring and then he answers it like very very thoughtfully and like it's that that like weird basely that i really like it's that you know some guys are just in there knowing that they can say a whole lot of nothing get in get out i understand it um i i wouldn't want to talk to me either but like basely is in there 
and he's like just like thinking about every word and like getting like deep on certain stuff and i, I know he's you know obviously he got got some beliefs about a lot of things but anyway i still want to talk to uh talk to basely uh sorry is manjang i uh i didn't know you well enough Joe Masato, certified Usman Jang <laughs> As the leader of the Jang gang, I'm saddened, but hey, we're moving on. Um, all right, start bench cut Jalen Williams, J Dub, Santa, uh, Kenrich Williams, or Aaron Wiggins. Oh gosh, this one's hard too. I'm going to start um, Jalen Williams, J Dub. I'm going to bench Kenrich Williams, uh, and I'm going to cut Aaron Wiggins. But I like Aaron Wiggins a lot. That, that's a hard one. Yeah, that was a hard one. I, I noticed you resisting to call him Santa. It's okay. I, I know you want to in your heart. <laughs> I have no interest in calling <laughs> calling a grown man Santa. I just can't. I can't go there. I mean, it's not, so I I tell Dylan all the time. This reminds me of like whenever Barry Trammell, whenever the Thunder first got to Oklahoma City, he tried to call them the Boomers all the time. Yeah. And it just it just never stuck, and he just kind of it just kind of like faded into the darkness. Just slowly and so like i i think dylan is going to go down with this ship and and it's just going to be sad it's going to be a, a I, it, slow sad. it's not it's not just me man there's there's just as many people that love it that hate it and at this point i'm just having fun with i don't know it. about that i'm going to challenge you on those numbers i i, yeah, I don't yeah, know I, mean, I don't know if the fan base is divided 50 50 on santa <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna have to well i mean i don't i guess i you know twitter's got the thing where you could share a tweet we're gonna have to share a tweet and do a poll <laughs> yeah Maybe we should ask him. I, I'm going to ask him, you know, what he thinks about nickname Santa. <laughs> I asked him point blank about it. And, you know, I mean, he didn't say that because somebody was like, uh, it was my birthday. And it was like, hey, Santa should wish Dylan a happy birthday. And he's like, whose birthday is it? I was like, it's mine. I call you Santa. It's a joke. If it if it really bothers you, you want me to stop, I'll, I'll stop. And he never said nothing. So he had his chance. It's all I got to say. I missed that. Okay, so he's not like outright rejecting it. Yeah, I mean, hey, and there's all kinds of basketball puns you could throw in there, like Santa's deep in his bag tonight. Santa climbing up the ladder, coming down the chimney on that slam. Like, come on, Joe. Like, it's oh my god, it's Twitter comedy, man. Santa's deep in his bag. I can see you starting to come around your mind. I know. I. I mean, I'm. I'm thinking about how fun it would be to write some of these sentences now. No one would have any idea what I'm talking about, but <laughs> it would be fun. If you it. do, remember the hat tip. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. You, you know where it started. Out. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right, uh, last one. This will be the – I mean, it, it might not be hard for you, but, you know, we'll try it out anyway. Star bench cut, Shea Gildas-Alexander, Josh Giddy, Chet Holmgren. <laughs> um. This one's evil. Yeah, this is this is difficult. Um, I'm gonna start Shea Gilders Alexander out of respect. Um, I'm gonna bench. Who am I gonna bench? I don't know. I mean, I I like Josh Giddy. I'm gonna bench Josh Giddy and cut Chet. What do I care? All right. I like it. Okay. Can I clarify something for everyone listening? Absolutely. I'm crazy. I don't actually want to cut Chet Holmgren, but I'm given three people. It's just one is in the starting lineup. 
one is on the bench and one is off the team. And I'm just thinking about this like, oh, you know, Jay, he's, he's been good to deal with. Josh caught up with him a bit at Summer League. Chet, eh, don't really know about Chet, so I guess I'll just send him the way of Usman Jang. Just yeet Chet home. I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of their draft class one after one. <laughs> I love it. Well, hey, hey you, you started Jalen Williams, so – that's you don't true. hate everybody. You don't hate everybody. That's true. That's true. All right. I like it. Well, hey, the star bench cut is done. You don't got to worry about hurting anybody, any other players' feelings. We're not going to clip this or anything like that. But uh, we are going to stick with the with the five-man lineup in basketball. So this is what I want to ask you. If you could make a five-man lineup in a pickup game in a basketball court, made up of Thunder media members, who would it be? Soccer field. And you can include yourself if you wish. I don't know if you. I don't know if you got Hooper skills like that. No, I I suck. Um, <laughs> but like like the start bench cut game, it's not about like who's actually you know most valuable. It's just like just who, who you're I gonna want. have fun with, right? Yeah, that's fair. Um, I'm totally fine. You know, just flattering the the host of this podcast and i'm gonna say the three of us are gonna be out there on the floor because that would be disrespectful if i didn't say that there you go i like it um i'm gonna say he's he's not on the beat but his name has been mentioned on the pod barry trammell i mean he can (laughs) he can be our four um he brings he brings a veteran presence and i love barry to death um, all right, that leaves that leaves us with. I one. mean, I guess we got to have a Euro, right? So we might as well bring Mikey Barra into the mix. Hey, that's that's good. Uh, I actually talked to Mikey for the first. I mean, I've interacted with him on Twitter, but I talked to him on Dream Team, and it was the first time I had talked to him. So um, I was I was flattered to be in his presence. So I think Mikey, I think Mikey would be a good one. Um, yeah, I guess that's five. That's five yeah. right there. Get the ball to Barry. Let's go run the courts, man. No, I love it. Boy, that's a right. that's a tough lineup. <laughs> and and it's got to be half court. I don't think I don't think Barry could go full court. Listen, man, like I I play I play about every other week, but yeah, you know, when I'm when I'm I play about three hours every every other Saturday, and when I'm done, like it hurts to walk. <laughs> it's, oh. it's bad. That's why you play every other Saturday. You need that middle Saturday to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, facts. No, I, I'm 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 there. Like I, I don't play often, but I played pickup with some buddies, you know, a few weeks ago, and like the next day, I seriously could hardly walk, and I was like, "What in the world is happening to me?" And I just felt so. I mean, it's like I, I try to cover these NBA players, and I like play pickup one game, one one day, and can't even walk. Like, who am I to yeah. say? You know, Pope is not any good. I mean, they should. They should all tell me to to shove it. <laughs> I like it. All right, Joe. Well, hey, we're gonna switch gears a little bit. This isn't gonna be so much basketball. This is just you personal. This is a segment that, or not segment, but you know, I guess just like a question series. I'm gonna call your last. So, uh, your last song you listened to? Oh my gosh, the last song I listened to. Um, I just went to a concert. Head in the heart. I don't know if you guys know them, but um, they have a song called Virginia that I just listened to. Okay, nice. Yeah, check it out. Uh, let's see your last movie you watched. Last movie I watched. Um, I TV watched... Or, or theaters. Yeah, I haven't been to the theaters in a long time. Um, I watched 
so so I'm not like a big like uh, superhero movie guy, but like I uh, I watched the Spider Man like the the Tobey Maguire 2002-2004 Spider Man the other day, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it. You know, Kirsten Dunst, right? Um, she's she's in that. Um, I, I watched that and I enjoyed it. I don't know why I watched it, but I did. Oh, I, hey, Spider Man! Spider Man is my favorite superhero. So, I, I'm oh, right there we go. With you. There we yeah. go. I'm saying all the right things. There you go. All right, last podcast you listened to. Last podcast I listened to. Um. Okay. So, in my uh, my personal life, I am a huge. I'm a huge baseball fan, but a huge fantasy baseball uh, player, mm. and in multiple leagues. Um, so I just listened to the CBS's fantasy baseball podcast. Okay. I've, I've never dove, dove into fantasy baseball, uh, mainly because I'm not like super into baseball, but like just the idea of fantasy baseball just stresses me out. I'm in too deep. I, I just spend the, too much of my time. Uh, just the stats related to it, like the, was it war wins above replacement? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just like, I don't get that. I don't, I don't even know what that is. Hey, I'm I'm huge into fantasy football. Like I've I've got five drafts coming up this month, so I'm yeah, huge. that's intense. Yeah, I, I listen to a lot of fantasy baseball podcasts more than I care to admit. Right. Yeah, stay on top of it. I understand completely. <laughs> All right, last book you read? <laughs> this is you got a bookshelf behind you, man. This, this is an, uh, okay. This is embarrassing as a as a show. Um. I read a book called, and I'm blinking on the, I'm seriously blinking on the name, but it's by John Branch. Uh, he's a journalist for the New York Times. He writes a lot about like, kind of like, like Western ranch, like cowboy culture. Like it's called the Last Cowboys, I think. It was really interesting about this family in Utah that has a ranch. They're pretty isolated, like their whole family is bull riders and cattle ranchers and, and all of this stuff. I, I will admit I'm not super, I, I wish I was into more like fiction and, and just reading for pleasure, but I like, I consume a lot of like news and like everything like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, sports journalism, trying to read my favorite writers, get inspired. And then sometimes the last thing I want to do is pick up a book at the end of the day. Um, but I did read, I did read that one. Yep, I definitely understand that, man. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there's just so many hours in the day. It, it's hard to, you know, spend time to pick up a book and do it. So I get you. Last question, man. Last meal you've eaten. Last meal I've eaten. Um, okay, so I cooked, I, I grilled some chicken tonight. Um, okay. And I marinated it in, um, is this, it's like pesto. Okay, what I put it, I put it in a Ziploc bag, chicken breast, a whole thing of pesto. Um, rice vinegar, salt, and some sugar to give it some some sweetness. Oh, nice. Um, stuck that in the fridge, brought it out, grilled it up, ate it with some some broccoli and potatoes. Um, my fiance and I, and we had a we had a, a splendid dinner. I must say. There you go. How, how would you how would you rate your meal on a scale of one to ten? Well, I'm a pretty harsh harsh grader because if I say it's like a nine, then I'm not going to have many meals better. <laughs> so I'm going to say like a, I'm going to say an 8.4. Okay. I like it. Chop, chop champion Joe Masada. I'm trying to get there. Like during the pandemic, I tried to improve my cooking skills 
they're they're okay, but a lot of a lot of room to go. I'm I'm a development. I, I'm, I'll I'm tell like you what, cooking I got, I, I got some of those uh, Hello Freshes. Yeah, and uh, man, you make those meals and you feel like one of those, you know, one of those chefs. You're like, look at this creation that I just made. I know. <laughs> they literally watching. give you everything that you need. It's not like you picked it out. Like it's, everything's there, just handed to you, and it's like, wow, look at this. Yeah, I'll find myself watching like a Gordon Ramsay video. I'm like, oh, I can do this. And it's like, I'm never going to do that. I, bum, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't got the palate to be a cook, man. I'm, I'm way too picky. I can make some mean tacos, though. I mean, okay. mean tacos. All right. So there you go. But hey, Joe, that is, that's all we got for you, man. I mean, we, we cover everything from Thunder to, uh, I mean, to bag on cooking and chicken so like, i mean I, I i don't have anything else to ask you man i'm just gonna toss the toss it over to you you know you had the floor plug anything you want to plug your socials anything you may be working on anywhere we might be able to listen to you well yeah this was a lot of fun so first off thanks for having me on and hopefully we can do it again soon um you can check it's a pretty slow time but we still have some thunder stories uh going at oklahoma.com you can click on the thunder tab you'll find all of my stories there at Joe underscore Masato on Twitter. Um, and you can listen to me about once a week, sometimes twice a week on the OKC Dream Team podcast. So, um, yeah, just hit me up, email me, uh, message me, do whatever. And I, I always love to talk talk Thunder and meet some new people. Awesome, man. Well, hey, once again, appreciate you coming on. It was an absolute blast. Um, listeners, appreciate your all uh, continued support. Um, you know, stick here with us. We've got some uh, good stuff coming up. We got a friend of the pod, Mike Muscala, going to be coming on the pod here in a couple of weeks. So that's always going to be a good time. And, uh, you know, we're going to be continuing our family feud series. We've got a couple more episodes coming down the pipe and the doldrums in the off season. So definitely keep it here for all the fun stuff coming up, man. So hope you guys have a great night. God bless. Hoop when you can. And as always, thunder up. Thunder up. Come on, Joe. You got to join in. Um. Thunder up. <laughs> Maybe we can cut it here. I don't want to. I don't want to get in trouble. I guess. Thank you for listening to the Topic Thunder podcast. Our podcast is available to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Be sure to leave us a five star rating and a positive review, and follow us on Twitter at OKC Topic Thunder. Thunder up. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.